You've scanned the headlines, read the articles, and liked the posts. Now listen to the experts themselves in the Future of Work podcast, presented by allwork.space. Are you ready? Hello, and welcome to the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. My name is Ceci Amador de San Jose, and today I'm looking forward to chatting with Bree Reynolds about remote work, the skills needed to succeed in remote jobs, and how the COVID-19 pandemic has changed the remote work environment. Bree is a career development manager and a career coach and resume writer at FlexJobs, a site for remote, flexible schedule, and freelance job listing. Bree, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, our pleasure. And so I want to start uh, by talking a little bit about FlexJobs. You guys were founded in 2007. So this was way before everyone started to even consider remote work. So you were definitely pioneers in that area. So how has the remote work landscape changed over the past 14 years? How have you seen company perceptions about remote work change? And what were some of the challenges that FlexJobs thought they would have with remote work that didn't happen? And what were some things you didn't have mapped out that were, you were like, okay, we did not think about this? Yeah, no, I love this question because it's uh, my answer would be very different if, it, if we didn't have the pandemic. Um, so before the pandemic, I, I've been with FlexJobs since about 2010. So uh, it had been about 10 years at that point. And before the pandemic, I would say the remote work landscape changed very slowly. Um, so we would look at the statistics of the number of people working from home, and it would grow every year, but it was a pretty slow, steady increase. And we always thought, okay, well, that's going in the right direction. More people are interested in this, but it was a relatively small amount. And just to give you an idea, in the US, uh, before the pandemic, about 5% of US workers worked from home full time. And then, the pandemic happened and my answer to this question completely changed because remote work has skyrocketed since then. Um, as of February of this year, about 57% of the US workforce is still working from home full time. Um, so it went from 5%, which we got to 5% over the course of about 20 years of looking at these statistics. And then in the span of just a few months, it completely you know, jumped from there. So. It's an interesting landscape. Um, I think one of the challenges that we always wondered about um, in the, the earlier years of remote work was, will remote work really last when we had reports of companies that were getting rid of their remote work programs? Um, so just as remote work would start to grow, every year or so we would hear about a big name company that decided that remote work did not work for them. And what were some of the reasons, sorry, what were yeah. some of the reasons that they gave for remote work not working for them? Yeah, we would hear things like um, that the people weren't as productive at home, they missed the office camaraderie, that managers um, couldn't tell if their employees were actually working, um, all of those sorts of things. And so every time that happened, we would hold our breath a little bit wondering, well, if this big company can't make it work, what's going on? Um, you know, is it going to affect the rest of the remote job market? But we never saw any effect from it. So thankfully, that was one of those fears that uh, didn't really come to pass. Um, and what we've seen is that with all of those companies that had pulled back from remote work, there was something else going on at the company that made it less likely that remote work would actually work for them. So if managers couldn't tell, 
um, that their employees were working, that's a managerial issue. That's not a remote work issue. Um, so it was things like that, that we kind of, you know, felt more confident that the job market would continue to grow for this and that companies would take on more remote workers. And here we are in 2021 with most people working remotely. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't mean to say that I'm happy the pandemic happened because I don't think anyone can say that, but yeah, for sure. I'm happy that it put companies in a position where it was survive or go down. And there's no way companies can argue by now that remote work does not work. Like, yes. I think everyone globally, workers all over the place have confirmed that remote work can work. What doesn't work is working from home for a lot of people. So that's a whole other topic. But and I think that's one issue that needs to be addressed, that remote work is not equal to working from home. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if um, if this is something that has always been like that, that people thought remote work was working from home, or if this is something new. I think it's sort of always been conflated, the two things being exactly the same. And really remote work is is that overarching policy, that organizational um, really thought, you know, hard thoughts put into how to develop this team of agile workers who can work from a variety of different places, not just from home necessarily, um, but who, wherever they're working from, are connected and collaborative and productive. And that definitely was put to the test with the pandemic. I mean, we saw in the most difficult circumstances, companies and employees still saying that they really liked ro- working remotely, all things considered. Um, do they wish it had been done outside of a pandemic? Of course. But um, but the fact that all the added pressure had been put onto remote work this year to work amid terrible circumstances, and it still worked really well. And like you said, really saved some companies um, from you know the choice of surviving or not. Um, it's been a really interesting test. And it was one of those at the beginning, we were sort of crossing our fingers and just hoping that people would not see remote work during in the pandemic being forced to be stuck at home as the real way that remote work is, because it's certainly not. I mean, this is a very unusual circumstance. But we always say if you can do it well in the middle of a pandemic, then you can definitely do it extremely well under normal circumstances. I, I completely agree. Um, and then still we're hearing about companies saying that they will not implement remote work in the long term or in the post-pandemic world. Why? Why do you think this is happening? Because it doesn't make any sense by now. Yeah, that's what that's what I want to say. It's sort of, well, we do have a lot of evidence that shows that this works, but I think there are still those entrenched kind of 20th century managerial ideas about what work is and that work is a place that you go. It's how you um, interact physically with other people during the day. It's where you get your socialization. And all of those things are not necessarily the case anymore. And I think the pandemic has at least shown a lot of companies very quickly that those things simply aren't true. Um, but I do think that there is just that hold of 20th century management practices that have been around for decades. And, you know, it's going to take probably a few more years um, to undo those those ways of managing people, of viewing the workplace and what it actually means to uh, to work and to be at work um, where that actually happens. I think it's going to take some time to just keep unraveling that. And also more time to put people into managerial levels at work who really understand remote work well, who've been doing it for a while, who have more of a um, 
experience doing this. And so that's digital natives, that's, you know, millennials and Gen Z and people who have really grown up with communicating this way and having it be a, just a natural part of how they communicate with friends, family, with workers, um, you know, across the board. So I think it's going to take a little bit more time, unfortunately, but at least we have a lot of evidence now that it can be done really well. That That's definitely a good point. And you were just talking about like managerial situations and putting people in managerial positions. What are some of the skills that remote work managers need to have? Because they definitely are not the same ones as in-person ones, especially if they're more like micromanaging, more controlling. And like you said, they believe that work is a place where you go instead of something that you can do wherever. Yes. Yeah, this is a tough one, but I love talking about it because really to be a good remote work manager, you have to look at your role differently. Um, So your role is not to look at people working and to assume that because you can see them at their desk or at their station, wherever they happen to work, that they are doing their work. You have to get way more involved, but not be a micromanager. So you have to be involved at a level that makes you their support person. Um, So you are there to help them remove barriers and roadblocks to get the information or the tools that they need to make the connections that they need to make in the workplace. You're sort of the facilitator of all of that as a manager. And you have to be proactive about it. One of the biggest things that we always talk about at FlexJobs is proactive management, proactive communication. So not uh, relying on FaceTime really gives you a sense of how much that was relied upon in an office, you know, having to look at workers and just go, oh, okay, yeah, I think they're working. When you take that component away um, and you're not on video all the time, which is probably the number one thing is don't be on video all the time as a remote manager. I've heard some teams that went remote during the pandemic and they've had to be on video all day long. And it just sounds draining and exhausting and a little bit intrusive. and yeah. not a good use of anybody's time. So it, really putting yourself in that proactive facilitator role and being that support person for your team that helps just move things along and get people where they need to be, doing the things they need to do, um, that's the biggest piece. So proactive communication, proactive management, and trust. The biggest other thing is trust. Starting from a place of trusting the adults that you've hired on your team to be able to do their job. And then to look at their processes and their work products as the results of that. And that will tell you if they're doing their job well or if something needs to be changed. And that's that's one thing that gets me. Um, and I still cannot believe and cannot wrap my head around the fact that there are software products available for companies to monitor their employees while working remotely. So I have a sister. She used to work for a really big, big, well-known company. And we have a a younger sister. She's uh, 10 years younger than me. And my sister would need to, I don't know, either go eat something or go to the bathroom. But they would monitor her mouse pad, how active it was. So she would ask my baby sister, could you please just like, I'll, I'll do something for you. I'll pay you just like, make sure that it's moving. So like every two or three minutes, can you just like move the mouse pad, hit a keyboard key or whatever. And I'm like... How? Like, why does this even exist? And then when the pandemic started and companies um, here in Guatemala, where I'm based, started to send workers home, they were like, I, I heard active conversations of CEOs saying, OK, so does anyone know of a software we can use? And I'm like, you're getting it all wrong from the very get go. Like, 
trust people if they're getting everything done it doesn't matter how or when so i think that scheduling is a big thing especially for people are working from home with kids with pets with noisy neighbors whatever so yeah it, it just baffled me that trust was non-existent in companies how did companies survive up until then if they didn't trust their employees yeah they um, just assumed that that facetime piece of it that that facetime equals constant monitoring which it really doesn't um there are plenty of things that employees can do in an office on their computers or their phones that make it look like they're working when they're not and again it pushes everything away from that place of trust. And I love the example, I don't love it, but the example that you gave <laughs> is a perfect one of those companies that their first thought wasn't, how do we make this work? How do we equip our managers to support people in this crazy time that we're going through and to give them the flexibility that they need? Like you said, you know, flexible hours, different scheduling to do their jobs, but also be present in their lives. And they didn't think about that at all. They went straight to how can we monitor people and make sure that they're working? It was a complete distrust immediately. Um, And that's just a sign of an unhealthy work environment and an unhealthy way to manage people that nobody is going to like. And that that sort of forces people like your sister, who are, are, I'm assuming, honest, trustworthy people in real life to be sneaky. And why do we want to reinforce that behavior? I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. So, yes, I totally agree that. Trust component is critical. Yeah, and not only that, but I think especially now that more companies are embracing remote work and companies have stated that they will pursue remote work in the long term, those that don't, they're going to lose employees. I yeah. like, There's no way you can compete with attracting and retaining talent if you're not offering one of the things that other companies are offering, which for the most part will be at least part-time remote work or remote options. And two, if you're controlling everything I do in my computer, because that's another thing, like if it's a company-owned computer, I mean, I can't say I I condone it, but it's a company-owned computer. But if you're asking people to install basically spying software in their personal devices, no, there's there's no way that people are going to willingly and happily stay with that company. Yeah. Um, and so that's another thing that um, I wanted to ask you talent wise. Do you think that remote work will definitely be a talent attraction and retention strategy for companies in the future? Yes, so that's the short answer. <laughs> but the longer answer is we've already seen it. Um, so we've seen a number of really large, well known companies that have said we are remote work first now. We are moving towards remote work. If our people want to work remotely, they get to do that. They can move to where they want. So they're actually doing that more expansive, you know, work from anywhere type of policy, or at least work from a number of different locations instead of being near this one physical place. Um, so yes, we are already seeing, you know, especially in the tech sector, Facebook, Twitter, Salesforce moving towards this, this model of remote work is totally acceptable for anybody who wants to do it. Um, And it it varies depending on the company. Every company has its own policies, but they're also being pretty clear about those policies, which is another nice step to take and something that we usually recommend all companies do when they start remote work. Um, But I think, yes, we for a long time, we used to talk at Flex Jobs about companies that would hide their flex. Um, So they would actually let people work from home, but they would not talk about it. They would not advertise it in their job postings. And we're not really sure why companies did that, but we've always encouraged companies to be uh, open with that. That's an attractive quality in a company. That's what people want. 
And I think even more so during the pandemic, we did a survey um, back in September, I think of 2020, about 4,000 people who'd been working remotely during the pandemic. And we surveyed them and said, what do you wanna do after the pandemic? 80% said they wanted to continue working from home full-time or working remotely full-time from home until they were allowed to actually like go out <laughs> into the world again. Um, but 80%, um, and that was working from home full-time. And then a number, I, another, I think it was 15% said working from home uh, at least some of the time. So they like that office interaction. They like seeing their coworkers face-to-face. -face. And that's something companies should definitely consider yeah. too, is that it doesn't have to be 100% remote work. You can do what makes sense for your company, for your teams, the type of work that you need to be done and uh, and make it work for you, but also definitely offer that to people. It's so attractive. And I think you're right, companies that say flat out, we are not doing remote work after this are gonna lose out on talent. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree in what you said, that it doesn't have to be a 100% remote thing. And I think that's something that needs to be talked about more. There are different degrees of flexibility that a company can offer. And it's not just you either come into the office or you stay at home. They can yeah. do a hybrid work model. They can use third spaces. And then but one thing that I'm really interested um, to ask you about is, do you see... Or have you seen at the moment more companies embracing international remote work? Because I know that a lot of companies have shifted to allowing remote workers to be so within the continental US or within Europe. But I haven't seen a lot of job postings that say this job can be done anywhere globally. And I'm assuming there are a lot of challenges that come with that, legally speaking, contracts, uh, tax-wise. But... Do you think that we will eventually in the short term reach a point where companies will feel comfortable hiring across the globe? Or do you think that remote work will kind of stay within like regional areas? Yeah, I think that will be a continuing challenge. That's definitely been one of the more challenging parts of working remotely, of hiring remotely, um, is that cross-border remote work. Um, and within the U.S., you know, with all the different states that we have, we have that problem internally as well. Um, in addition to hiring outside of the U.S., um, each state has its own tax and employment regulations, and then the federal government in the U.S. has additional tax and employment regulations. And so companies have, have discovered, especially in the last year, but companies that have been doing remote work for a while know this, that it is tricky to navigate those waters and to make sure that you are doing everything properly above board. It's tricky and it's expensive too for companies. So they really have to make that commitment to it. Um, cross country or um, you know international remote work, I think will increase just as we've seen all types of remote work increase. But I do think it is that sort of the, the, the trickiest of the bunch. Um, so you know we're gonna see more talk at least about collaboration, about amending laws, um, to make it easier for companies to do this. And I think what it's really going to come down to is companies contacting their representatives, contacting people in power and saying, this is an issue. We need you to have, you know, um, talks with these other countries that we would love to hire in um, or that we would love even our U.S.-based workers to be able to work wherever they would like for a year. You know, if they want to go yeah. off to a different country for a year just to experience working there. What are some of those things working like? And we've seen some countries get really creative with remote work visas um, and, you know, trying yeah. to attract people to come work in their countries. So I think there are models here and there of how it can be done, but it's, there's a long way to go. Unfortunately, that is one of the toughest things, I think, to figure out in this whole equation. I, I agree, especially because, like you said, there's like 
varying regulations and lack of infrastructure and yeah but i i do think that it's something that governments worldwide need to start thinking about and they need to start figuring out ways in which they will encourage at least that because i'm sure there's a way around it i'm sure there are some incentives that can be given um and then so back to the hiring part of it what are some of the main differences between hiring an in-person uh, worker versus remotely? What, how are hiring practices differing? What are some things that companies that are thinking about implementing permanent work from home or remote work need to kind of like know about and, and, and consider beyond the like, you know, submit your resume and then type it all out again? Yeah. Well, the nice thing for, for any companies who are kind of looking at the process and thinking, I don't know if we know how to do this. Um, is that the general process is very similar to a traditional job search. So most companies require resumes and sometimes cover letters to um, apply for their jobs. They put out their job listings. Uh, They do an interview process, and that's where it gets a little bit different. So in the interview process, companies need to decide how they want to conduct those interviews. Um, Most companies we find right now do phone interviews at first, those quick screening interviews. We have seen more companies implementing one-way video interviews where they have a program set up that automatically feeds the applicant a few different questions that the applicant has to answer on video. And then someone can actually review that afterwards. So it's not a live person that you're talking to if you are applying for the job, you're talking to a computer and uh, and then that gets sent to the hiring manager, the recruiter. It's a little funny, a little uncomfortable. Yeah, and then of course, video interviews. Um, are another piece of it. So I think one of the things that remote companies can be really clear about in their job listings to just start right at the beginning is what is the remote work policy and what do they want to see outside someone's ability to actually do the job, the task of the job? What do they want to see in terms of remote worker traits? What qualifications do they think are really important? What skills, you know, do they want to have people who are great communicators, um, who can do really well, you know, written and verbally? Um, companies that do have cross uh, country remote workers will often say our, you know, um, our main language spoken at this company is this. So you need to be fluent in this language. Um, so they're they're really good. Some of these companies about spelling out exactly what they're looking for in a remote worker. And and then also, of course, the key pieces of being a software engineer as a remote worker or, a, you know, a recruiter as a remote worker. Um, so starting at the job listing. But then the video interviews, really interesting things that we've seen to kind of even the playing field a little bit is some companies now will actually provide backgrounds that people can use, like those digital virtual backgrounds, so that everyone is on a level playing field. Because whether or not we even realize we're doing it, when we see somebody on video, we're taking note of all the things that are behind them. And we're making assumptions about who they are as a person based on the room that they're sitting in. Um, And so for some people, you know, they're, they're sitting in a, a small house versus a large house, you know, there there's all sorts of different things, you know, even their decorating style can influence somebody um, unconsciously, of course, it's not like the recruiter's going, oh, I don't like that wallpaper, I'm not gonna hire that person. But it just, it puts too many things in somebody's subconscious that they're thinking about it. So thinking about how you can kind of level that playing field when you interview people is really important and you can get creative with it. You know, digital backgrounds are easy to provide for people. You just send them the file and say, here's something you can use. Um, and get clear about what's going to happen in the interview process so that people can prepare. Um, that's one of the big things too. Not everybody is comfortable doing video interviews yet. Um, 
it's new to lots of people. And so having just saying we conduct our video interviews on Zoom gives person a chance to go and practice on Zoom before they actually do the video interview. Um, so keep in mind all those things that people may be um, stressing out about before they come and talk to you as a, a remote employer and try to help them out a little bit. And and so that's another thing. So you would talk about the different traits that that they want to see in a remote worker. How important is culture fit for remote companies? Um, so I feel like skills can be taught, but you need someone that will definitely integrate well with the entire staff. And so is culture fit something that they look at? How can companies evaluate that? And then I'll need I'll, I'll ask you later about the onboarding process and bringing people and integrating them with the rest of the staff. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think cultural fit is absolutely vital. Uh, companies that have worked remotely for a while usually have developed pretty strong remote work cultures. Um, and it, especially for those hybrid companies where some people may be in an office and some people may be from home, extending that cultural fit so that it really feels similar, whether you're a remote worker or an in-office worker, that the, the company culture is the same for everyone um, is really important. So that's something that people need to pay attention to. But really describing the company culture that you work in as a remote company is like telling people what your office is like, what to expect, what is the vibe of the office when they're going to walk in. Remote workers still want to know that uh, you know certain um, certain things are kind of like expected of them when they come to work on the first day, even if they're not actually walking into the office. It gives them a sense of of the the people that they're going to be working with, the um, environment, the energy. Um, and the expectations and whether or not they're going to fit really well with that, because there are lots of different remote company cultures. I will say companies are getting better on their careers pages at describing that sort of thing. So that's something to look for if you are looking for a remote job is just what what do they say about their own company culture? Um, and is that a good fit for you? And then how can you actually talk about that so the employer knows that it's a good fit? Awesome. And then integrating them with the rest of staff, especially like you said, if there are staff in the office and staff that are fully remote. How do you onboard a new employee? How do you, you know, break the ice, take away that little kind of like uncomfortable first few weeks of work? Yeah, as somebody who has started at two different remote companies um, in my career and had that onboarding process twice, and then also onboarded a lot of people since then, it is, you have to do it really well. It has to be intentional. You have to put a lot of thought and planning into it. I know um, having worked at, at in-office companies before that oftentimes what happens is you show up on the first day and your manager's like, all right, let's see, where are we going to put you? Okay, it looks like this seat's open. And yeah, I'm going to talk to IT about getting you a, a computer. You can't do that in a remote environment okay. because you, as the, as the new person showing up, you're going to feel completely lost. Um, you are ready to go. You've got your little home office set up going. And when you get there, you want some intentional, organized process to go through. Um, so on that side, you know, if it's HR, the hiring manager, the team that the person is going to be coming into, all of those people need to work together to create an onboarding process that feels really intentional and is pretty well organized and just lets that person know what to expect each day for at least that first week. Um, and then even into two weeks, you know, what to expect, maybe not quite as detailed in that second week, but for that first week, especially, who are they going to be meeting with? What days are they going to meet with those people? Why is it important that they talk to those people? What are they going to cover in those meetings? Um, and then making sure that they have a few different touch points 
Um, so you're not just talking to one person that whole week and you only have that one person to connect to at the company. You want to really try to give them that social feel of being in the office, of saying hello to other people. Maybe you just say hello and it's a quick conversation in the elevator when you're going into an office. How can you recreate that in the onboarding process so they get to uh, feel like they're working with a larger team? Um, one of the things that we do at FlexJobs when we onboard someone, we assign them a buddy that's at a completely different part of the company. So somebody they're not gonna work with every day. There's not that pressure of trying to prove that they are good at their particular job. This person is strictly there to be their buddy at the company, to answer those dumb questions that they might be a little uncomfortable asking, to get a better feel for what the process is like. And we try to pick people who have been through the onboarding process within you know, the last year or so, so that it's still fresh in their mind what it was like to start at a new remote company. And that buddy is responsible for reaching out to that person regularly, making sure they're feeling good, talking to them, just kind of explaining, you know, what the company's like and what they can expect and where to go when they have a question or they need something. Um, so I think the buddy system can actually work really well. That, that sounds actually really interesting because I, from my own experience, at least when I started a new in-person job, there was always just one person that you kind of clicked automatically with a little bit more than everyone else. And they became mm -hmm. kind of like your go-to person. Where's the bathroom? Where's the coffee? Where are the coffee mugs? Um, where, what, what time's lunch? Um, stuff like yeah. that. So, so that's a really interesting, interesting one. And then you talk about how like in in-person jobs, they're like, oh yeah, so we'll get you a computer. We'll talk to IT to have your email with remote work. What are you seeing companies doing in terms of providing new hires and their current staff with? Uh, do companies provide computers? Um, do they a lot kind of like they give them a stipend for that? What are some of the things? Because and that's another thing. And, and I at least in the U.S., it can be tax deductible and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. Um, I'm not from the U.S., but I do know that if it's like work related, it does play into taxes. and so. What are some things that you're seeing most companies do to like provide equipment, make sure that workers are comfortable and that they have all the necessary stuff that they need to do their work yeah. effectively? There are a number of things. And actually, the pandemic has helped push this a little bit more, I think. So there are a few different ways. Companies approach it in different ways. This is actually a really good question for people to ask when they're in the interview process, you know, towards the end or they're negotiating a job offer. It's like, so how does that home office setup work? Um, and so companies do this in a number of ways. Uh, the first would be to provide the actual equipment. Some companies do that. They might send you a laptop, maybe a second monitor, a headset. Uh, sometimes you'll get set up with like a voice over IP phone. We see that especially for jobs that are going to require you to be on the phone or connected talking to someone a lot. So customer service, sales, account management. We often see that provided for those types of roles. Uh, the other way is the stipend, as you mentioned. So companies will say, you're responsible for picking out your equipment. We will provide you with a stipend or we will reimburse you for X amount. And usually it's an annual stipend. So you can refresh your equipment each year, um, not necessarily get a new computer every year, but you could get, you know, a more comfortable headset or, you know, an ergonomic pad for your keyboard, little things like that. You can just continuously improve. Um, and then some companies operate on a strict, uh, we call it BYOD, bring your own device uh, environment where they just say, it's up to you. And they might have a couple rules, like your laptop can't be more than four years old or something like that. But otherwise they say it's completely up to you to get your own equipment and to handle that. 
Um, so that's why I say, I mean, for companies that provide equipment or provide a stipend, that's a lot of money that they're saving you. So I would ask in the interview process, what is yeah. the company's policy? Um, because that can be negotiated too. It's not always something that they say, nope, this is it. We, we don't do anything for anybody. You might be able to negotiate that in there. And for companies that don't offer anything, consider offering that because that is a big barrier to getting people into remote work, especially people who are coming from uh, a financial background where they can't afford the most recent equipment. They can't afford to upgrade their laptop until they've worked for a while, until they've had that steady paycheck coming in. And so to provide that for them, um, you know, really gives your your candidate pool uh, a more, you know, um, equitable mix of people. You don't have to have people automatically ruling themselves out because they can't financially set up their own home office. And, and that's another thing. So I know that a lot of companies, it's not just necessarily the tech equipment that they need, but some will also provide either a stipend for, I don't know, an ergonomic chair, a desk, mm -hmm. or for like a co-working or flexible workspace membership, which uh, they might come back in, in the future. Right now, I don't even know if governments are allowing these types of spaces to operate. Um, but yeah, and then are there any other things that you'd like to say? So you were giving some tips for job candidates, like asking th these questions. What are some other things that they need to ask potential remote employers during, in the interview process? I think uh, the questions actually that you've touched on are perfect. So what's the onboarding process like? You know, How do you integrate a new person on your team? Um, who are some of the key people I'm going to be working with while I'm working remotely? Um, then you can ask logistical questions like, what are this, the, the expected hours for this role? And not necessarily like the 40 hours per week, but which hours during the day do you expect people to work? Uh, because not all remote jobs have flexible schedules. Some still adhere to a strict, you know, nine to five or eight to four or whatever it is type of schedule. Um, and so you want to make sure that you're on the same page with that employer and that that fits what you're looking for, too. Um, you could also ask about flexibility in general, um, shifting your hours. What does that look like? And uh, and then um, I think those are sort of the main things that you would ask um, the, the remote companies that you're looking at. You might also look at sites that offer um, company reviews to see what other people have said. And if there are any pain points you're noticing, so glassdoor.com is a really good website for that. Um, you can look up a company and see reviews of people who've worked at that company and what their experience was. And if you're noticing any pain points that you're like, hmm, if that's true, I don't know if I really want to work for that this company or I want to get some more info about this. You can ask not like, oh, this person on Glassdoor said that you do this terribly, but you can phrase it in a way that says, you know, I was wondering about the onboarding process and what does the structure of that look like? Um, so if you read a review that said terrible onboarding, you know, no structure at all. You phrase that differently in the interview process, but you still get the info that you need, hopefully. What are some of the most common pain points that people that you've seen people are identifying or that companies are struggling with? I think one of the biggest, well, there's a couple. So the first two that come to mind are communication norms. Um, how do people at the company communicate? What is the preferred method of communication? Because usually companies that are working remotely have a variety of communication yeah. methods set up. So you might have Slack for you know, online chat. Um, you might have Zoom for video conferences. You might have email and phone. Some companies do a really good job of spelling out which type of communication is used for what. Other companies don't. So that's something that you could ask in the process is how does communication work at the company? What are the preferred methods? What are the programs you're using? Um, and just see what their thoughts on that are. That might be something in the onboarding process that you could ask too is like, okay, so 
if I have a quick question, should I Slack you or do you prefer I email that to you? And that can be a manager to, to employee talk as well, because there might just be some personal preferences on the part of the manager. Um, but so that's one. And then the other is the scheduling is knowing when you need to be available and how do you show that you are available? Um, so is it do you have to have your uh, notifications on in, in Slack or something like that? So people see the little green light and they know that you're there. And if you walk away for 10 or 15 minutes to take a break, do you need to turn that off so people know you're gone? It's kind of like self-monitoring a little bit, um, but also, you know, it, there might be some regulations around that, but just kind of letting people, like we have a rule, for example, on the career coaching team at FlexJob, it's not a rule, it's like, it's sort of a request that you say good morning when you arrive and you say good night when you're leaving. Um, okay. and, and just, it's a nice way to kind of start the day and have everybody, oh, good morning. It's nice to see you. How was your night? And it starts conversations, but you also just kind of know like, oh, okay. You know, Tony's here. She just started work. So if I have a question for Tony, I know she's there and I can ask her. And then if I see that Tony's gone, I can say, oh, okay. Tony left for the night. I have a question. I'll ask this person because they're still here. Um, and okay. so it's just that, like that sort of interaction. You might even just do that yourself, even if, uh, even if they never say anything about it, <laughs> just to kind of start um, the trend. Yeah, I'm really bad at updating. So we do have like a an intranet where we chat and I'm really bad at uh, updating my status. So my status always shows that I'm online right. unless I actually close the tabs and close my computer, which it's been happening a lot more regularly. But usually I would just like, oh, OK, I'm done and I would leave my computer open. And so it would always say I was online <laughs> when I wasn't. So I do need to get better at that. So we're running a little bit out of time here. And just before you go, I wanted to ask, how do you see the remote work landscape evolving in the short term and in the long term? I think in the short term, um, we will still see fairly high numbers of remote workers, at least temporary remote workers because of the pandemic. Um, and then what I was really interested in was looking over the next five to 10 years, what do the predictions look like now that we have had this big surge in remote work? Um, and what we see is that the the levels of remote work probably are going to go down. That's what experts think, but not to pre-pandemic levels. In fact, not even close. So I was mentioning before the pandemic in the U.S., it was like 5% of the the workforce that works from home. Um, and then now, in, as of 2025, experts are predicting that about 25% of the U.S. workforce will still be working from home full time. Uh, working remotely, I should say, because they hopefully by yeah. then will be able to work from a lot of different places. Um, but that is, a, a, you know, to be five or four years out of the of the pandemic and still have 25 percent of the workforce working remotely, that's a huge shift. So I think that for anybody who's interested in this, the next few years are going to provide a lot of opportunity for remote work. Um, companies are going to become better at this over time. That has been the case over the last 15 to 20 years. It just happens. Um, you know, every year they get a little bit better. So it's going to be a pretty good time, I think, for remote work. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I'm really looking forward to seeing more companies kind of like formalize remote work arrangements um, in the near future. So thank you again, Brie. It was amazing chatting with you. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. Thank you very much for having me. If it's impacting the future of work, it's in the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. Are you ready?